Thank you for downloading the Inspire Me lecture podcast brought to you by the University of the West of England. In this podcast, we are joined by Jasmine Thompson, freelance illustrator and designer. I'm Tom Abbott. I'm Associate Head of Department for Research and Scholarship in Art and Design. But the reason I'm here today is that, like uh, Jasmine Thompson, I'm also a graduate of illustration. Um, so I'm going to be chairing this event. So what I'll do is introduce, give you kind of some of the frame around it, and then I'll be quiet and I'll pick up for the Q&A session in about 25, 30 minutes. There is, I think you all know, there's a small um, icon at the top of your screen with show Q&A. If you want to ask a question, then drop it in there and we'll do the admin. I'll be asking Jazz the questions when we get to that point, but I'll be trying to keep the secret so surprised by the content. A um, little bit about the event itself. Um, we are we are recording this um, as part of our library speaker addresses. So obviously your questions will be recorded and Jasmine's answers will be on there and will be available later on. And at this point, sorry, someone went into the office because that's what we do now. Um, I'll do a brief intro and then I'll hand over. So Jasmine is a Bristol-based illustrator and designer. Her practice embodies using illustration to capture stories of people and places. Amongst her recent works are murals for the Royal Shakespeare Company and the Pervasive Media Studio, which some of you may know, at Watershed in Bristol. Beside mural work, Jasmine works regularly as a visual journalist. She's also an experienced political cartoonist, designer, workshop facilitator, and currently a board member and featured artist at Rising Arts Agency. Jasmine's particularly interested in exploring ways of incorporating the use of creative technology into her illustration practice and discovering new ways of storytelling and presenting narratives. At the beginning of 2019, she completed a residency at the Razor Media Studio, focusing on how conductive ink can be utilised as a powerful storytelling tool, and it is, and it's fabulous, alongside drawing in virtual reality and looks to develop this further. I'm going to hand over to Jasmine, who I'm very delighted to have here, and I will let her pick up with the talk, and I'll see you in about 25 minutes. Thank you. Okay, hey everyone, thank you Tom for the introduction. Um, yeah, as Tom said, I am Jazz or Jasmine and I'm an illustrator and designer. Um, I'm based in Bristol and I will be talking to you today about specifically art as activism and paving your own path. So uh, a little about what I will be talking about, um, who I am um, and my background, my creative journey so far and how I started out. Um, yeah, working in activism, art and community um, a little bit about what I would have done differently, um, kind of going back, um, some key takeaways and things that I've learned and an opportunity at the end just to pick my brains and ask me some questions. Um, OK, so a little about me and my background. So, yeah, illustrator and designer, but mostly my work does fall into illustration. Um, in recent months, I've been doing a lot of mural commissions like this one um, on the screen now. Uh, which are really large wall art pieces um, and I've been doing quite a few of those across Bristol. Um, I like to create work about things that I'm passionate about or that I care about um, and often this involves people and communities along the way. Um, I'm a digital illustrator and do quite a lot of work like this for social media campaigns, posters, album covers, editorial illustration, magazines and stuff. Um, which is a fairly new part of my practice um, and something I've only really started doing in the last year or so, but it's opened up quite a few doors for me as well. Um, things like this, I I'm most recently working on Jojo and Gran Gran, um, which is, I don't know if you've seen, it's, um, it's a CBB's cartoon, so um, digital illustration has allowed me to do stuff like this, um, where I worked with an animation studio to develop the hair textures and um, some of the clothes and stuff. So. Um, that's not something I would normally have ever been able to do. Um, yeah, art as activism. So activism is probably um, one of the main focuses of my work. And this kind of thing is a combination of commission work and passion projects, actually. So um, it's often responsive and a reflection of things going on around me or around the world. Um, and the purpose of it is to send a message or talk about something important using illustration as the platform for that. Um, otherwise, I do a lot of live sketching, um, which is quite a corporate um, kind of side of my work. So events, festivals, conferences, it's kind of like a nice alternative to photography. People don't really tend to kick up a fuss about being drawn. Um, so yeah, I can sort of float around and capture events and um, the kind of vibe of the day quite well using illustration. So that's kind of more of a daily basis um, kind of part of my work, really. 
Um, so yeah, I'll start a little bit by talking about uni. So yeah, I started studying at UE in 2012. So prior to this, I'd lived in Worcester and um, I'd gone to art college and then moved to Bristol for uni. Um, I actually started on fine art, but after a few months, I transferred over to illustration, um, which was a really good decision. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed the course. It was a really good space to experiment and work in so many different ways to what I was previously used to. The course itself was quite open, so it allowed everyone to explore like a lot of creative avenues within illustration. So some people went into kind of 3D art and sculpture, photography. Um, a lot of students like kind of incorporated animation into it as well. So it really was open and allowed you to define illustration for yourself, really. Um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do um, at first. So I spent my first few years doing a lot of like children's book related projects um, and also making the most of the print facilities and kind of playing around with different production techniques and stuff. Um, but in my final year, I created a project about Bristol called Integration and Culture, um, which are the images that I've just kind of shown. That's from that project. Um, and it stemmed from watching a documentary on segregated cities and, and the factors that contribute to it. Um, so I wanted to explore why Bristol is so segregated and how different communities in the city felt about that. So I spoke with a lot of people from the community, um, different communities just about living the area, home, what home means to them, um, and compiled illustrations that reflected my conversations. So told the story of the people from the different areas in Bristol and their thoughts on these things. Um, it was the first time I had created something with real people. Um, I was much more interested in this than doing um, like children's book related things. Um, I was really into the real world and real stories, um, which was something I had just learned about myself, but proved like quite key in understanding my creative identity in like following years. Um, I didn't go straight into a creative job out of uni. Um, I kind of tried to get full time work, but then sort of um, ended up just gradually starting to freelance. So doing a lot of like live sketching at events and stuff that was my main source of um, kind of income until I got a job at Rife magazine in 2016. So that was my first creative role. It was a six month internship working as a content creator. Um, Rife is a digital magazine and it's based at Watersheds. Um, and yeah, our role was to create a piece of content or multiple pieces of content per week to go on the digital platform. Um, and during this time, I explored a lot of political cartoons. Um, I really wanted to improve my storytelling skills there um, through creative writing as well. And um, yeah, many other ways so I could kind of feed that back into illustration. But political cartoons was something which I really focused on and it was a lot of fun. They are incredibly challenging to do. Um, trying to turn like things which are political and quite serious into um, illustrations with a bit of humour that kind of tell that story in a bit more of a lighthearted way is quite hard. So I really enjoyed that challenge of doing that and it kind of got me thinking a lot more creatively about how I put work out. Um, yeah, so once that ended, I it actually connected me a lot with other organisations in the city. So once I was working within Watersheds, it became um, a lot of creative doors kind of opened. So um, yeah, I started working with other orgs in the city. So uh, this is some work from um, a project I did with M Sheds on a St Paul's Carnival display, which they ran. Um, so it was to showcase carnival and Caribbean culture through five illustrations, I think. Um, so yeah, this was pretty key because it was I was beginning to get commission work that felt relevant to me and of interest to me and kind of tapped into the this, this sort of things that I cared about. Um, Rising Arts Agency. So I started working with Rising in 2016 and Rising are quite a big part of, I guess, this talk and also my creative journey as they are for, I think, many young creatives in this city. Um, they are big champions for um, young creatives just trying to do work which is authentic to them um, and showcasing creative talent and activism is kind of at the heart of what they do. Um, so I know not just me, but many people will feel like Rising have given them a really great platform to be able to create work about stuff which is is relevant in the city or, or that we actually care about. So yeah, to summarise, they are an agency led by young creative thinkers who advocate for sector and cultural change through so many things like campaigns, research, um, industry consultation, um, 
yeah, so I began as a resident artist and collaborated with them on various projects. But over the last few years, it's yeah, it's grown into a whole new a whole new thing. It's taken on a whole new form and um, the creative community through Rising is huge. Um, there's new artists joining all the time. Um, you might recognize some of the work Rising have done. So they did a billboard campaign in 2020, um, which is quite recognizable. There were, there were yeah, 370 plus posters across the city and quite a lot of us were given space and opportunity to put our work on them. Um, so yeah, sure, it was shortly after the murder of George Floyd. So a lot of the work was activism focused and in response to a lot of the events that had been going on. Um, I exhibited a piece I did of Fallen Colston statue, um, which was it was placed in a few spots. It was outside Temple Meads and in Castle Park and um, it had some really good spots and it was probably one of the most impactful pieces that I've done. Um, I'll talk a little bit more about it later and kind of why I made it and how um, it came about. Um, but yeah, Rising also run programmes for young creatives, so things like Be It, which is about empowering young people to be leaders, and they do one called On Board as well, which is bridging the gap between organisations and young people and um, making sure young people have the opportunity to contribute to the, the bigger conversations that are held within organisations, because a lot of time that's where all the decisions are being made um, on boards and stuff and quite high up. So getting young people there and giving them a seat at the table is really important. Um, so yeah, that's at the centre of what they do and um, the value in the, the work has been um, really significant and it's been really felt by a lot of people, I think, not just myself within the creative creative world and the creative community. Um, yeah, 2018, I started doing murals, so that's a pretty big part of what I do as well. So this one's at the PM studio, um, which is, yeah, like a studio at, at Watershed as well, and it's kind of next door to where I was working at Rife. Um, so this is the first time I've done any really large scale work, um, and the idea was to tell the story of the pervasive media studio and the residents and what they found um, kind of most valuable about being in the space. So um, yeah, I worked with Kai Burton, who is another illustrator to install it and we worked using projection. So um, yeah, started off on like a small illustration, like I did drafts of it and then we projected it up for scale and then I filled in all the details. So that was a new a new avenue. Um, and yeah, it proved a whole new kind of challenge, but um, something which I kind of come back to quite a bit. Um, I'll touch upon this quickly as well. Um, it's not as activism focused, but it does. It was a relevant project because, um, yeah, it was another opportunity where I was able to create stuff, like start to work on things which were um, important to me. Um, so I collaborated during my residency at Pervasive Media Studio with um, a creative director um, called Lisa Harewood on a project called Love and Seawater. And it's a VR project that explores the relationship between um, separated families in the Caribbean. Um, so often parents will leave for work opportunities and be separated from children and their loved ones. So in this project, she interviews people with first-hand experience of this and created a VR world essentially that shows you the kind of life of both the parent and the child. Um, and it's quite surreal, um, as you can probably tell from some of the visuals from it. Um, but it was incredible, um, yeah, like project to be part of, like I'm of Caribbean heritage and um, have, yeah, relevant kind of stories and um, relation to this project and the themes in it. So this was a really big one to work on. And um, yeah, we ended up kind of dissecting it. Uh, I, yeah, it works in a whole different way. Like we ended up kind of creating illustrations like wallpaper um, rather than trying to draw directly into VR, which was, so time consuming and took so long and it was just we were never going to be able to create a whole world like that so worked for someone to create the 3d model and then i did every kind of texture for the whole island um, and all the objects within it like flat packed and then they were all wrapped around it um, which worked really well in the end um, but it was just a really interesting creative process um, yeah so i just thought i would share that um, some key projects which have involved activism art and kind of led on to further opportunity through 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 making them. Um, so this is Love as a Revolution and is by far the biggest project I've ever done. Um, it I started it in 2017 and it 
kind of finished in 2018 um, and it was I was commissioned by the Royal Shakespeare Company to create um, an exhibition mural um, to be showcased at the Stratford-upon-Avon Theatre. So it ran alongside Romeo and Juliet, which was the play that was on at the time. Um, so they suggested it include some relevant themes, but ultimately the brief was incredibly open. So they were just like, do what you want to do in the space. Have it tied to it somehow, but it's up to you to pitch some ideas. So um, I created this, um, which explored um, people and movements throughout time that have changed the way we look at love and broken down the barriers for us to love like who and how we choose ultimately. Um, so it was six walls. Um, I think I've got another photo which kind of shows how big it was. Um, that's like half of it. Um, yeah, so I worked with Kai Burton again um, and a few other local artists to install this. I was there for about three weeks on site. Um, and technically it was one of the most difficult things I've ever had to design because um, there were so many windows and doors in the, in the room to work around and slot something slot artwork around so it took a really long time of development and worked quite closely with the RSC to design it for that space and um, I don't have a picture of it here but there was opportunity to um, leave like people's responses so people could contribute to it um, and there was like little post-its and people could put them on the wall and like leave their impression of what love was or what love meant to them and I would definitely recommend doing stuff like that when you do projects in public space because allowing space for people to respond to your work is so valuable because like I think often with art you, you have to you're in art spaces and all you can do is look at it you can't ever contribute to it so people really love the opportunity to be able to contribute to it somehow and leave their messages on it in this case anyway leave their messages on the walls and contribute and yeah at the end of it we collected all of the responses and it was just really fascinating to hear what it had meant for people or what people had interpreted it as so yeah I think definitely something which was a really valuable thing to learn is 100% leave space for audience engagement in your work um, you'll be really interested to hear like yeah how what it means to people I think um, yeah and it was recommissioned at Barbican the following autumn so Romeo and Juliet went to Barbican um, so the a part of the mural went with it so they built a wall um, for me in the in the foyer um, so I redrew a part of it and changed a little bit of it but um, still left the space the Juliet's wall for people to respond and um, yeah that was up there for a month or so I think. Um, moving on I'll talk a little bit about why we're not here which was an, a rising arts agency collective project so um, we were given access um, to test space spike which is an exhibition space for spike open studios in 2019 um, and it was curated by Stacey Alika and Anika Deb um, and the whole thing looked at lack of inclusion within art spaces so uh, a group of us all showcased work in a variety of mediums which addressed this issue um, so I created a portrait series um, each of a different person and their story and experience navigating the arts as a person of colour um, so it focused on what needs to change and it, it was quite forward facing rather than it was looking back and Kind of looking at things which could have been done differently it was yeah it was looking at the future and what needs to change but yeah it was amazing kind of to be yeah working as part of a collective I think that's something which is really valuable when you're like relatively new like out of uni like finding people that work similarly to you and like obviously that it is competitive but I think um, finding people that work in similar ways and finding ways to collaborate with them is is really meaningful and really important rather than just seeing everyone as competition. Um, that's definitely one thing that I've learned um, because you will end up working with a lot of people in the creative sector because it's it's so small. Um, yeah, Neighbours, um, I'll talk a little bit about this. This was the last big project before lockdown. Um, so um, it was part of Bristol Light Festival, um, which saw light installations across the city for a few nights. Um, and this one was taking place on Banksy's Wow Hung Lover at the bottom of Park Street. So it's, yeah, the, the Banksy piece where he's uh, the guy's sort of hanging onto the window. Um, and there were six local artists and graffiti artists were, were uh, picked to create graphics that were projected onto the wall. So the idea was to create eight other windows which told a story of the theme neighbours. And that was all the brief words. Um, so I chose to use the eight windows to showcase the vibrant communities of Bristol that make the city what it is. Um, there were three floors. 
Um, so I divided each floor into separate themes as well. So it started at the bottom. The bottom one is um, home. So looking at like there's a family like kind of in the bottom left and then um, there's a homeless guy in the bottom right because I felt like that's a really important part of our community in Bristol and they're often forgotten about. Uh, the middle rows around um, culture. So looking at specifically Caribbean culture in Bristol and its history. And then the top is on power and power structures and it's animated too. So um, you could kind of, the, there's a guy in the top window counting money and the notes are falling from the window and um, yeah, like the lights are flicking on and off. Um, so it was amazing to work with like team of projectionists as well on this to animate some of these. Um, but yeah, immediately after went straight into lockdown. Um, so I took three months off doing any commission work basically because there was just, yeah, no work. Um, but during this time, I chose to learn how to draw digitally. So I had an iPad, which I never really used. So I just thought, OK, let's try and take this into a new area. Um, I set up a print store as well, which um, really helped kind of carry me through that period of time. Um, working with local printers in Bristol as well to like kind of support it and support them and their businesses as well. Um, but yeah, it really opened up a lot of campaign work and like social media work. So this is a project for Adidas um, called Ready for Sport. So it was about inspiring athletes and young people to get back into sport after lockdown. Um, so I drew three Team GB athletes. Um, so a rugby player, gymnast and a cricketer. Um, and they shared these artworks on their socials. And it was yeah part of a kind of wider campaign to encourage um, people to be active again and it led to um, being commissioned by the Premier League to work on the No Room for Racism campaign. Um, so there were 10 of us um, all creating artwork of a black football player from the Premier League to showcase their story and journey. So this was the most open brief of them all. Like it, I, there wasn't even anyone in particular they wanted me to draw. So um, you had to go and pitch a, a player and why you wanted to draw them. So um, it was really flexible and it was a really fun thing to be working on. So I chose Wes Morgan. So he's the only captain of Jamaican heritage in the Prem. So I wanted to celebrate that. And also, yeah, it's just rise to win, um, which was against all odds. Um, so that was that. Um, yeah, I returned to activism focused art during that summer as well. So for many people, like including myself, like um, the murder of George Floyd and the events that followed were quite triggering. And um, it kind of felt like we were all trapped in this bubble and absorbed by the entire situation and global fallout of that and how BLM was then catapulted into recognition, essentially. Um, so I created a few pieces of work on this. So this is a few others. So I just really wanted to kind of capture some of that um, the key moments of the movement and key things that had happened. Um, and yeah, when Colston fell, that moment was huge. And I think it meant a lot to a lot of people um, here to see him not on that plinth anymore, not having to walk past him every day. Um, so my friend took this photo, I'm a friend's a photographer, and I worked from the photo to create this. And this piece was honestly probably responsible for me working all last summer because it's it. Um, so many people bought it and it also got me so much work um, in Bristol from doing it. So it was, yeah, kind of bittersweet, um, obviously a great moment um, coming down. Also, yeah, it was just the protests were, were a lot to handle, but it, yeah, the piece is a really important piece and yeah, it brought on a lot, um, which leads me to talk a little bit about this. So this is the most recent thing that I've done, um, a movement, not a moment. Um, it's a um, a mural in Bristol Museum. So they did a call out for um, black creatives to create work in response to BLM and showcase it within the museum. So I pitched this concept. Um, I wanted to tell the story of um, Black Lives Matter and activism through the years and the events that led us to where we are now. Um, it wasn't something that happened overnight. Um, there's a lot of history and context behind it um, and the fight for equality. And I really wanted to showcase that and kind of showcase the vibrancy of, of um, African and Caribbean culture in the city as well. Um, so it took me two weeks to install it, um, many weeks of development and design getting it right. It's probably the most detailed thing I've ever created on that scale. Um, it's There's a lot of cultural references hidden within it. Um, and yeah, I wanted it to be educational and highlight the positive things yeah, about culture as well as tell the story of um, kind of recent events, which generally were quite painful. So I wanted it to be um, kind of positive thing as well. 
Um, and it should be on hopefully until the end of the year, if not longer. So that's kind of still open for discussion and um, yeah, not determined yet. Um, yeah, and then lastly, um, I'll talk a little bit about this it's a project which we did through Rising again. So Rising gave a few of us the opportunity to work on the rebrand for Bristol Beacon um, and work with a design agency called Saboteur in London to, yeah, literally from the ground up, just think about what Bristol Beacon now needs to be. So it's not necessarily activism focused, but I guess, yeah, thinking about working on a project that distances Bristol Beacon from Colston Hall and that kind of legacy as, as much as possible did kind of feel a bit like activism. So um, yeah, that was a really, really wholesome project to work on. Um, and yeah, we pretty much had a really open brief, started from literally logos, looking at sunbeams, um, just really anything that we yeah could could think of really. We, we explored absolutely everything and created posters and identified key elements that could become part of the like the brand's identity basically. So a few things like the handmade element, the the type um, and like the framing, the ticker tape, we, like yeah we were just looking at all of that. So I stepped out of this project at Christmas and then um, Rosa, um, one of the rising artists, went on to complete the, um, as, as like lead designer basically. So that was another amazing thing that Rising managed to kind of sort for us and kind of connect us with. Um, so key kind of takeaways from, I guess my last few years of freelancing, I've been freelancing since, yeah, I, was, I left uni, so 2015. So key things, which I think are things that I would have liked to have remembered or known at the time even. Um, so I'll kind of talk a little bit about those, but experimentation maximizing your time to experiment in uni is so important like i did not realize this when i was at uni um i felt like i had to get everything right when i was at uni and i had to hit all the criteria and you do but it's also an amazing opportunity to just try absolutely everything learn your style learn what kind of stuff you like making learn what doesn't work for you that's just as important i think like i probably learned more about things that i don't you know isn't my thing or things that i you know i'm i can't really do or not really my jam like just as much as I learned what is um also the print facilities are amazing so use those because when you finish uni it's like that stuff is so expensive to try and do so this is a really great opportunity and time to just figure all of this out and like make all, like the mistakes and like you'll grow a lot more than you realize during this time by just trying absolutely everything basically um, and for me, it was the time I probably learned most about myself and my work and why I wanted to make work. So community, um, finding and building a community is so valuable. It's probably the most valuable thing that I have. Um, and mixing with other creatives or people from backgrounds, other backgrounds is of huge value um, to my work and to most people's work, I, I think. Um, because yeah, working alongside people with different experience, they bring a whole different perspective and approaches to things like problems because they'll just think about it in a completely different way so the more you mix with people who work differently to you um which you don't really get much of a chance to do at uni because you're working in classes where you all do the same course or similar course so um i'd say that's really valuable um and the collaboration opportunities are incredible like it's like yeah to some degree people are your competition because you're all working in the same sector but the amount of opportunities and projects that come out of it is, yeah, is great. Um, understanding your creative identity. So why do you make work and what's it for? Who is it for? All of these things I never asked myself much of. So stopping to think about what do I want people to learn? How do I want people to respond to this? Do I want to bring people together, educate people? Do I want to share a message? Do I just want it to look pretty? That's fine as well. Um, yeah, and where's it going to go? Where's the work going to sit? Who's going to see it where it's where it is? Is it just online or is it going to go into like public space? So, yeah, just really unpicking why you're making the work that you're making and who it's for and how you want people to respond is really important, I think, as with anything, but especially if you're doing work which has got a message which you want to convey. Um, yeah, so that's definitely something to think about, I guess, in the initial stages of pulling a project together or pulling a piece of work together. and ultimately you will just enjoy your work more when you're making it on things that resonate with you um career routes um following like really traditional like textbook ways of being a creative you don't have to do that you can get a full-time 
job um, with a design agency or, or working as, yeah, anything full time, you can do that. But you can also freelance, you can also explore other routes and they're all full of reward as well. So um, I kind of tried to get a full time salary job when I left uni and I was horrified like that I couldn't do that initially. So I just started freelancing, but that actually ended up being like probably one of the most rewarding things I could have done because I get to work on so many different projects and I actually prefer that. So just find out what works for you and just try everything. And I think there's a lot of ways of making it work and earning a living and being a creative because there's so many of us that do it. So um, it's it's possible and there's not one route. There's lots of different ways. Um, I guess creating activism work, um, impact and occasionally repercussions. Yeah, I think anything activism focused, as mentioned earlier, is often political or has political undertones um, and speaks to people's experiences. So often people have opinions of their own and they like to share them sometimes. So yeah, like through previous projects, there's been some encounters I've had online with some articles where people have voiced opinions about it. And um, ultimately online people feel brave and um, can say whatever they want. But I think the way to kind of navigate and manage that is just limit and limit the time you spend delving into those kind of things like if you're creating work which is important to use like in my case speaking to like marginalized voices and experiences people will have something to say but ultimately like as long as you're staying authentic to what you want to make and true to what you want to do um just limit yeah your time spent like worrying about that kind of thing um take social media breaks and um just generally practice not being absorbed into being in online spaces and online worlds all the time regardless actually of what work you make just don't spend too much time um yeah trying to yeah put work out or yeah delving into these kind of things um and yeah lastly support systems just finding places and people that believe in you and your work like whether it's a collective through community and working alongside other artists um, or organisations equally, a lot of them will believe in you and want to support your work. So um, that's something which I'm continuing to learn and continuing to build. Like it's kind of like an ongoing thing, I think. Um, and it has a lot of value, especially, you know, if you do encounter like, you know, difficult times within your like creative career, like having a support system is, is a network is really valuable. Um, so for me, Rising, Watersheds, Creative Youth Network, for example, have always given me space to showcase and celebrate my work. So they're people that I want to continue connecting with. Same as Bristol Museum. They really allowed me to bring something entirely new to that space that had never been brought to that space. So and just let me do what I wanted to do. So, um, yeah, having those relationships is is really important. And um, yeah, I can't stress yeah how good it is to have that kind of support network. Um, yeah, that is the end of my talk. Um, sorry if I went a little bit over, um, but yeah, like I am open to questions and if, yeah, there's anything you want to know more about or if there's anything you want to elaborate on, uh, just let me know. But yeah, thank you so much for, for listening and for coming to my talk today. Jasmine, thank you very much indeed. Can you hear me okay? Hmm. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, okay, lovely. Okay, and thank you all for asking questions. What I'm going to do, we've got about I think, 10 minutes or so, maybe a little bit longer to run through some questions. So I will, ones that have been voted on, there's a really nice mix, and you just see them, of kind of practical ones about careers and also about uni life and, and creativity. So I'll start with this one. Any tips for upcoming freelancers? I myself do freelance graphic design and want to know if you've got any tips on potentially gaining clients. Yeah, so I would say um, be open to uh, what you um, take on. Um, I think generally like that was kind of how I approached it um, was just like, OK, let's just start getting experience working on freelance jobs. Um, so I did a lot of um, there were quite a few people in the city that I already admired or looked up to like. Um, so I would just get in touch with them and just go and chat with them about my work. So I did it um with a few i think i did it with some people at watershed and then ardman as well there were a few designers that were working at ardman that i just really interested in their work and i just decided like, okay let's start bridging that gap and then doing things like that is really valuable because then you are on people's um kind of agenda they know who you are 
even if it seems like there's nothing in this yet, but just kind of bridging that gap between like potential like clients or potential organizations for work, they then know who you are and it kind of, it does full circle a lot. Um, so I would say, yeah, just being social and networking and just going out there and um, basically like rubbing shoulders with people and talking about what you do, like it's it's really hard to do and really hard to have the confidence to share what you're up to and what you like, but like people do want to hear it, like organizations do always want to hear what you've got to offer or how you can potentially work together, especially young creatives as well. If you're emerging, um, definitely put time into that. Um, and yeah, with when you get like your first couple of projects, just um, I think just like have a really good um, and really clear communication with like the people that you're working with. Just make sure you're like asking all the questions that you need to ask and fully understanding what it is that you need to do. There's never too many questions you can ask as long as it's meaning that you're getting the right idea and you're understanding the brief because it can be quite hard to navigate your first creative brief. You're just like, oh my gosh, what do they want? Just just ask. And I think it's nowhere near as um, yeah, like scary um, as you feel like it is when you when you first start work. Um, but yeah, the the more valuable and um, the the more like kind of positive relationships you build with your like the people that you work with. Um, people remember you. So a lot of the um, clients that I have now like are repeat clients. So I often I get some which are new, but a lot of them are ones that I've worked with before. So if you do a good job the first time, like you will likely get remembered or contacted again in future. So yeah, it, it's important to build good relationships with people, um, especially when the creative sector is so small here. Um, yeah, I hope that answers the question. That's incredibly thorough. Thank you. Um, next one <clears throat> starts with praise. Amazing work you did during lockdown. And honestly, for me, really, I mean, I know you work fairly well. That's quite an astonishing kind of 18 months, 20 months of work. But the question is, what tips would you give for artists to prepare for uncertain times? Um, I mean, you can only prepare so much like it. I thought I was fully prepared for anything. And then lockdown happened and it was just like a rug had just been pulled out from underneath my feet. Um, but I would say the most like important thing is to just be prepared to be adaptable. So like if you, I found just doing one type of illustration work like was quite limiting. Like I knew I wanted to do illustration, but in terms of the kind of illustration, like I wanted to make that as broad as possible. So if work dries up in one area or something happens, like for instance, live drawing events, lockdown, all the events were canceled. So it was just like, I couldn't do that anymore. So. I think being adaptable and being prepared to work in other ways or in other kind of areas or kind of branch your skill set out is the best way you can be prepared because sometimes yeah work will be really good in one area and then it will dip and then another area it will, it will kind of come back up so um, I think trying to yeah adapt to that is is the best thing you can do because um, ultimately there's only so much control you can have of what's going on in the world um but yeah just yeah trying to yeah find as many little avenues of work as possible so you, you don't you're not just leaning on one it's not like all your eggs are in one basket thank you um okay i don't know how we have a time but i'll keep going um what can you explore and learn from vr oh my you so much it's like um it's only something which i've just recently started exploring um but through the yeah the love and seawater project it's like um you can literally create entire worlds within that space so you can do an illustration or a piece of artwork and then you can walk into that illustration and you can become part of it so it's in incredible like the opportunities and the like where you can take that and i think it's something which like we're still learning a lot about and still exploring um i've done quite a bit of drawing in it um and um, I think learning how to animate as well would be really valuable and learning how to, yeah, essentially you can make short films in VR from your drawings if you can do that. So it's really open and because it's relatively, I guess not super new, but relatively new tech. It's, it's still being developed so quickly and there's still so much new stuff coming out. Um, but yeah, like the, yeah, the Love and Seawater project was yeah something entirely, entirely new and um yeah like you can work i think when you're working in vr with so many other types of creatives so 
um, yeah, so many different other types of designers. So I was working with people like I'd, yeah, would never normally have worked with. So um, yeah, it's great what you can do in it um, and something which hopefully you get to explore a little bit more of as well. Okay, thanks. I've been flagged that we, we, we've got a good 10 minutes of questions, so Jazz, you're not going anywhere yet. Um, <clears throat> any tips on how to balance a uni life, social, educational, personal aspects? Um, balancing uni? Um, I, that's a really good question. Um, it definitely got a little bit easier towards the end, I think, just because I got a little bit more focused. Um, I would say um, I got a job like because I had to work as well when I was at uni, like my loan didn't um, cover everything. So I had to get a job. Um, so getting work that is flexible with the fact that you're at uni is key, like find an employer that can be a little bit loose with your shifts and stuff. Just so when something comes up, if you have a lecture or if you have a deadline, they can budge a little bit here and there like to accommodate you because you don't want to be um, stuck in a place which is really rigid with that because ultimately uni like especially new last year will be the most important thing that you're doing so that needs to take priority um i got a job which was um like mornings so um like quite early mornings i happened to be well i forced myself to be good at getting up in the morning so i could get my work out the way before like 11 o'clock and then i had the whole day to do uni stuff um so yeah, just finding what works um, like social life is uh, definitely a hard one to balance because uni is there's so much social stuff, but I think it does naturally kind of it starts off more social in like the first year and then kind of gradually filters into being a bit more focused, but just put time aside, just create a diary, create a planner, like give yourself like a couple of nights a week where you go out and do stuff with your friends or whatever, like find some fun hobbies, just create a, a, a calendar. So you, you're making sure you're staying on track with everything. You're managing your time. You're still giving yourself enough time to get all your work done, but then also making sure that you are prioritizing doing that stuff as well, because yeah, you can't just, yeah, do just uni work all the time. Um, but yeah, just, just get a planner and just try and map out your time as best you can, I would say. Okay, thank you. Um, and one that's really for your entire career, I guess, but certainly picks up from what you just said. What keeps you motivated when creating your work? Um, so my motivation doesn't stay at a high level all the time. Like I am quite good at getting up and going to work, even if I'm not super motivated. If I've got a job to do, I, I can make myself go. But in terms of enjoying doing work all the time, like I think don't worry if you don't feel like that all the time, because I don't know anyone that consistently absolutely loves creating artwork all the time. It's like it does go through stages and sometimes you'll feel unmotivated. I've just kind of come out of a stage of that. But I um, tend to enjoy seeing other people's artwork. So going to shows or going to um, showcases and stuff like that around projects or with artists that um, create work on similar themes. So for me, I don't necessarily um, like I love going to illustration like exhibitions and showcases. But for me, like I get most motivation from seeing people that create work on the same type of stuff. So that could be films. That could be anything, but if they're looking at storytelling and telling stories about something and um, working with communities and people and it's completely different to illustration, um, I'm still really motivated and inspired by how other people approach that. So other types of creatives make work. Um, so I would say, yeah, make sure you're kind of exposing yourself to that as well, um, rather than just looking at people that like if you're an illustrator, illustrate like it, it's broader I think looking at people that have a similar kind of foundation or similar vision or similar themes in their work is also really important. Okay thanks. Um, I'm going to ignore the voting bit so I will go on to one that I'm interested in your answer. Which barriers were hardest to overcome during your progress as an artist? Um, the hardest barriers? Um, I would say that's a really good question as well actually. Um, Navigating the first year out of uni was definitely the hardest because it's like you don't really know like what to do about it. It's just like you, you go from like doing a really, really intense final major project to then just sort of like navigating freelancing, which is completely different like type of space. Um, so I would say figuring out like how to start that. So how to like start finding people. Um, and I would say literally just putting out your work is so important whether you 
hate it or not, like just literally identifying the things in your work that you would want to get paid to do and putting it out there. I would say there's not loads of point putting out work. Um, like I don't really put out any videos that I make. I make videos for fun sometimes, but I don't put it out there because I don't want to be paid to make a video. Like it's not what I want to do. So anything which is relevant to like your style and your practice, put it out there and just push it. And um, yeah, like I, yeah, was super open to networking and meeting people and kind of showing them what I did and just using kind of digital spaces to share it. And that was really valuable. Um, the going for coffees with people, industry coffees, again, it's, I can't even stress how important that is, just making those connections. Um, don't feel like you have to offer loads. It's, sometimes it's just nice just to pick people's brains that work in the industry and just ask questions. Like it's, yeah, it's really good. So that was probably the, the most difficult thing. Um, and yeah, it can take a little while to like find your footing and like how you want to navigate it. But like, yeah, it'll definitely figure it out. It, it does come. And sometimes, yeah, it will, yeah, you'll get work straight away. Sometimes it will take like a few weeks or months or whatever, but it, it will happen. Um, but yeah, that was the hardest thing I found. Okay. Um, we've got three more on the list. Um, whether we get all three, we'll see how fast you answer. Um, I've got, I know the answer to the next one already. The answer is no, um, at least not for the last 20 months. Do you need to travel a lot to create new ideas? No, no, I don't think so. I think the pandemic has definitely highlighted that. We don't need to travel that much to, to generate new things. I think just keeping inspired, like I tend to be more inspired when I am traveling around just because I really like going to new places and meeting new people and kind of having new experiences. Like I respond well to that, but you don't need it. Like I think if you have creative ideas, regardless of um, where you are or where you're where you're going, like finding the time to, to realize them. Um, if anything, actually like having less time to travel and more time in lockdown um, did actually help in many ways because I was much less distracted and much more focused on what I was doing. So. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, there's not always the luxury of being able to travel around like, um, but yeah, you don't, you don't necessarily need to just keeping, yeah, keeping in like up to date with stuff, I guess, and keeping involved in what's going on in like the creative world does help, but you don't need to travel. Um, <clears throat> two more. One, this is, this is a ratio question. How much time do you spend designing and thinking about a mural and how much time actually creating it? Um, I probably spend more time thinking about it and developing it. The The R&D stage is quite a big stage for me, especially like with the murals that I've done, they're really open, like with the, the one that I did for the museum on Black Lives Matter. And it was just like, obviously um, they left it for us to pitch an idea or a concept. We weren't told what to make because it was up to our own interpretation and our own um, kind of, yeah, response to that. So. Um, yeah, I spend quite a bit of time just literally just brainstorming ideas like I knew I wanted to do something about that and I knew I wanted to include really key moments from the movement over the last year. So I just started writing them down just like this is what I want to put in. This is what I want to put in. And then and then I was just like, OK, locations, where could I do this mural? Start writing down those locations, just really basic stuff. And then just started doing sketches, um, loads of different types of sketches of what could work. And then eventually you kind of filter it um, down into something or often like in that process, you'll, I went to the museum with a couple of sketches. So it's like, oh, do you like this one? Do you like this one? And then you can kind of filter it. So start big and then kind of, yeah, go small towards the end. But yeah, that can take weeks um, to do that. Like I usually spend a few weeks just thinking about it and just getting all that together. And then the actual install, um, I have never done one quicker than a week. Um, that was the one at Barbican when I like redrew part of the the one I did in Stratford. So that one took a week. Um, but yeah, ultimately, I'll, I'll, two weeks is the standard amount of time. Three weeks sometimes, depending on the size. But that's usually pretty um, pretty set in time. It's the but the R and D can take a lot longer. It just depends how long it takes you to figure out your your ideas. Um, yeah. Okay. Thank you. Two more. They snuck one in. Um, because I know what the one I want to finish one is. Um, any forums or places online that you'd recommend where artists can meet or collaborate? Sorry, what was that? I didn't hear. Are there any forums or places online where artists can meet and collaborate? 
Um, I don't know about forums. Um, I'm not entirely sure. I've never really used forums. Um, I would say the best place to collaborate, definitely get involved with Rising Arts Agency um, because it's just a huge community of artists in the city and um, there's always space for you and your creative ideas and um, they do a lot of like networking and a lot of like social stuff. So um, it is a really great place to like uh, meet and a lot of the stuff they do is online as well. So it's not just like a, it's like a hybrid offer. So it's not just in person, it is online stuff as well for people that don't want to travel or, or can't travel or, you know, need to stay at home, that's fine. So I think, um, yeah, getting involved in collectives and stuff is probably um, the most important thing. And I know like other organisations will have that. I know Rife is doing that as well um, and are really good at doing that too, like providing space for like artists to come together and um, through programmes and stuff like that. So, yeah, sorry, I don't have any forums necessarily. Um, that I can share, but there are a lot of spaces in Bristol and, and um, organisations in Bristol that will hold that space. Great, thanks. I'd like to pick up some, something you said in your talk is that your three years as an undergraduate or four years if you're doing a foundation, they're the most valuable time to kind of get to know everything, um, to experiment and to kind of figure that out. You, you've got a student discount, you can go into things, you get free stuff. Yeah, that would be the thing I would say as a member of staff to push that. Okay, Jazz, last question. Um, what's your next project? Would you like to share it with us? Um, yeah, so at the moment I'm working on a poster for a tour poster for a comedian um, called Nish Kumar. Done some work with him before um, on some online releases he, he's done. So at the moment I'm working on a new one for him. So that will be the next thing that will come out. It's hopefully in the final stages of design now. Um, so I'm working on that and doing some more work with uh, Rising and Bristol Beacon. So some more showcasing of artists. So I'm working, yeah, more so in like kind of production on this next project as well, which is nice. It's nice to kind of dabble in that as well and have a bit of a break. I've done a lot of murals. My arm is very tired. So <laughs> um, yeah, I'm working on um, some like Rising events and stuff and some, yeah, some get togethers and some networking stuff at, at the Beacon. So hopefully that will come together in the next month or so. Okay, Jasmine, thank you very much indeed. Um, for the attendees, I hope this has been interesting and useful. I have to thank the team that you can't see here on top of my screen, um, who do the technical working and making things happen behind the scenes. Um, but yeah, if we were in auditorium, we'd do a round of applause, but just to say thanks to Jess for her time and for giving us an insight into your career, your motivation and, and kind of what's brought you here. There's one last thing I'd like to flag to the attendees. You know, we're in the start of, we just come through starting block, we're in the start of term one. Jess talked about support and support from networks and I guess the underlying thing there is taking care of yourself. Um, I just want to flag that we, you, we do offer student support on an ongoing basis. If there's anything that you're having an issue with that you want to talk to anybody, just look ue.ac.uk forward slash students or the info point for anything that's of concern. We want to take care of you during your university career. We know this is a weird time, especially this year. But yeah, Jazz, thank you very much. Thank you everybody else. Thanks so much for having me. For more information about the Inspire Me Lectures series, including other podcasts from the series, visit ue.ac.uk slash study slash block hyphen zero slash inspire hyphen me.